Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Hello, everyone. Good day, and welcome to Dial the Gate. Uh, my name is David Reed. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 109. Joseph Malazzi is going to be joining us for uh, this episode. I apologize uh, for those who are watching. The screen resolution is kind of wonky. I'm going to have to figure that out after the show, but I reset something during the episode, and it's, it's triggered everything weird here. Uh, thanks again for joining us. So for this episode, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click that like button. Uh, it really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely uh, help the show grow its audience. And if you wouldn't mind, please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Click the bell icon, and that will give you a notification in the future of the moment a new video drops, and you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several uh, weeks on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. As this is a uh, pre-recorded episode... Uh, or excuse me, as this is a live episode, rather, Joseph Malazzi is uh, going to be joining me live on Zoom, which means if you log into youtube.com slash dial the gate, you'll be able to submit uh, your questions to him. And I will be sharing those with him in just a few moments. Our moderating team is standing by to take those questions. So let's go ahead and bring in Mr. Joseph uh, Malazzi. The writer Hello. and executive producer of Stargate Atlantis. And uh, hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm glad to have not been blown to Oz. I bet. To be perfectly honest with you, it was kind of crazy down here. So, um, but I'm I'm really uh, excited. We're we're moving further into the stretch, and you know, there's there's fewer seasons ahead than there are behind. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm interested to know um, has this been a uh, uh, has has this series presented you with some. Uh, some unexpected surprises in terms of the things that we've managed to bring up to the surface from memory. Uh, what has it been like going through this content over the past uh, year with me? And has it has it been worth it so far? No, it a- a- absolutely has been worth it. And it has been a lot of fun. I mean, growing up, my, my mother's nickname for me was the absent-minded professor because I just had a terrible memory. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you first invited me to do this, this trip down memory lane, I was like, oh my God, I, you know, what will I be able to remember? But it's amazing how much, how many memories you've kind of jogged and, uh, and kind of watching some of the other interviews, like with, uh, you know, Rob and, and, um, you know, Carl and, and the other writers, the other people who worked on the production. It's amazing how much uh, it brought back, not just sort of the memories of what happened, but the feelings of 
you know, being in those moments at that period in time, uh, it all came back and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, as, as a Japanese, the Japanese have a word for it, it's called a natsukashi, which means uh, it's almost kind of a, um, um, a familiarity of, of, you know, remembrance of things past, if you will. Fondly. Yes, yes. Okay. Like this reminds me of, oh, this takes me back. Huh. I wonder, I wonder what, how similar that is to just nostalgia, because nostalgia is also yeah. a, a positive yes, as well. Yes, yes. But yeah, it's... Very, yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. It's it's the Japanese have a word for almost anything. Um, and <laughs> it's very close to nostalgia, yes, but not quite nostalgia. What? Um, this this was obviously a very formative part um, of your of your time developing as as a, a professional. Um, what do you think? Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to how to how to phrase this. At this at this point, you know what? Let me let me just bypass that altogether. We are in uh, the last season that you did uh, with both SG One and Atlantis running concurrently. Now mm-hmm. you were more more over on the uh, SG One side for season ten, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, and we already went and talked about that content. Now for Atlanta season three, you submitted a, a couple of episodes uh, here. Uh, I at this point in in the franchise, you, this is your third season of writing forty episodes a season, which mm-hmm. is still absolutely crazy. At this point, do you recall thinking to yourself, you know what? I think we can keep doing this. We figured out a stride. We've we've got uh, the size of the writing staff that we need to pull this off. We have the resources of two shows that we're pooling together to to make this happen. Um, or are you thinking, you know what? I don't know if I can do another one of these. If if Atlant if SG One got picked up for a season eleven with twenty episodes on Sci Fi Channel, it's amazing how humans adapt. But yes, I remember the first season we did forty episodes. I thought there's no way we can do this, and we did it. And it's funny because at at the end of that season, even though it was exhausting, I didn't really feel any more exhausted than I did just doing a single episode of SG One. Wow. There's just more scripts to write. And then we had, of course, Morton Garrow on board, and he was a script writing uh, machine. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so really by the time season three came around, I honestly thought we'd be coming back for an 11th season for, for SG-1. And, you know, we've discussed this in previous mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, episodes, but I was fairly confident we'd be coming back. And no, I had no... Um, you know, hesitation or concerns about uh, producing another 40 episodes of television a year. Although, I mean, I look back now and I think to myself, wow, you know, how, how is that possible? Especially after doing, you know, my last two shows were 13 episodes uh, uh, a season and, and they, you know, they seemed overwhelming at the time. Um, you know, I, I just looking back, I, I can't imagine sort of doing 40 episodes today. I think that we've all been accustomed to the this the we we have we've had enough time in this new era of uh, the, the reduced number of episodes for most of the shows that we watch. There's still a couple of of shows out there that still do do twenty or twenty two, mm-hmm. but there there really are few and far between. I think that by and large, I would say the the quality 
of the shows that are selected in terms of the stories that are selected to air from a pool of shows, from a pool of ideas that writers have gotten together and say, okay, well, we could, the, these are the, the, the really great ones. These are the kind of the okay ones. And these are, oh, <laughs> man, if you know, these other things don't work out, we're going to have to go here. Um, when you have a fewer number of hours, you pick from, from the top first, I would think, you know, and that would give you, you know, a greater reason to have a greater chance at getting a, a more memorable episodes on the air if you're doing 10 as opposed to 20. They would have to be stronger overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes and no. I think, you know, you're talking about really, so there's a stark difference between a network television and, and, and streaming where network television very much are the 20 plus episode per season variety and they tend to be more episodic in nature whereas the streamers tend to be more serialized and you're right you do tend to tell a more compact story um it's very similar to because the uk model the six episode uh model and you know as as a viewer i kind of prefer those models because like you said there's very little um wheel spinning mm-hmm. you, you know you just tell the story you you have whatever six eight ten thirteen episodes to tell your story and, mm-hmm. and so you're you tell it in as concise and as uh, uh engaging a fashion as possible do you look at it like man the networks they they really milked us for everything that that we had back then so that they could have a block of syndication episodes or it was just the standard then and this was all we knew and no it, it was know. a standard then but i mean it, it like i said we it was an episodic storytelling right so one of the things that that we loved about working on stargate was that each episode was always like a, a mini movie mm-hmm. it has its own beginning, middle and end. And even though there were certain serialized elements over the course of a season, usually those episodes stood on their own, which is why they you know, call them standalones. Right. Uh, and so, you know, they, they were always a lot of fun to write because you, you know, you just put everything on that page, you know, just as I said, you, you just it, it was just kind of almost like a perfect whole. That in that in that hour or really more like 44 minutes and change um and so really it wasn't it, it, it wasn't a matter of 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 uh you know um uh you know i go back to saying spinning our wheels but you know of course there are cer- certain episodes that um maybe weren't as strong as other episodes mm-hmm. but they were never you know people use the term filler episodes and really, that could apply maybe to a serialized storyline where you're not advancing the story. But when you're talking about an episodic uh, structure, there's never really a, a filler episodes. They're all, you know, individual episodes. Some may be stronger than others. You know, you may have a, um, you know, back in the day when uh, budgets were tight, we would do the occasional clip show or the bottle episode. Uh, but even, even again, I mean, I look at... Um, Stargate and, and and frankly Dark Matter and two of the bottle episodes, a window of opportunity and and uh, um, uh, what was the name of the Dark Matter episode with the time travel? What yeah. was it? Uh, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I can't even remember. But in any case, they turned out to be the fan favorites. All the time in the world, maybe that sounds familiar. All the time in the world. That's it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Why do you think that is? 
Do you think that there is um, inspiration that comes out of out of constraint? Do you think necessity really is is the mother of uh, virtue? Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. But I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that because you're thinking smaller, and by smaller I mean you're not thinking expansive, no big space battles, you're not traveling from one place to the other, you have to focus on character. Right. And I think as a result, that's why those 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 episodes are so memorable because they tend to be more character-oriented uh, and really more relationship-oriented than anything. Um, and, and so I, I think that's why they turn out to be fan favorites. And also, more often than not, they tend to be the humorous episodes as well. That's that's a certain amount point. of humor. I I want to look at some of the episodes that were done uh, this season before we get to the two that you really focused on. Yeah. Um, Satita, mm. Robert Cooper's um, masterpiece. Yes, R- Robert Cooper's. I believe that's his first directing uh, gig. Actually, directing. Uh, his first one was uh, the Vala. Uh, uh, clip show in season nine. Follow a clip show. Yes, where we visit her in the Ori Galaxy. Because he corrected oh. me as well. Because I thought, oh, okay. see that. Let me. See. What was that episode? Yeah. yeah. Season nine. It's Crusade. Okay. All oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Crusade so this was is the first his... one he directed. This is okay. The... That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So this was his first Magnus Opus, if you will. Oh my this gosh! Is, yes. Yeah. So and... the first of his many Magnus Opuses. Opusai. <laughs> Opai. <laughs> Um, This, I think, is a great example of an action episode that really is also a character piece when Mm -hmm. when you boil everything else away. Uh, So I think it's one of those that proves that, you know, if you throw enough at something, enough X, Y, Z at something, you can really have your cake and and uh, and eat it, too. Um, Yeah. What was your impression of Satita when you when you sat down and and, and really got to experience that after ha- watching know, it develop? Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. Uh, well, a couple of things. One was, you know, I look back at it now, and Ronan, Jason Momoa's Ronan, uh, was a character that we kind of loved to explore through his backstory. Mm-hmm. So with Satita, with broken ties, with reunion. Um, and, you know, it's something that we didn't do as much with other characters, interestingly enough. Uh, what I rem- remember about this episode, uh, more than anything, two things. Uh, one is the fact that I believe, was it episode four when it aired? Yes. Okay. Uh, it was episode four. It was shot Good job. Uh, as episode four. Now, I remember because the network didn't want to air it uh, as episode four. I, oh. For some reason, I don't think... They didn't like it. They 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 wanted to push it back to like mid season, and and Rob wow. just flatly refused. That's and his baby. There was like a huge uh, uh, brouhaha clash. Yes, in the end, it ended up uh, airing fourth, and uh, it, you know the fans loved it. That I remember, and uh, whenever we would watch uh, the show, uh, much to Rob's chagrin, whenever that. <laughs> Wraith with the goggles would come out, come on screen. I would yell, Wraith free swim. And, uh, you know, I just. Uh, he does look like he's going for a dick. Look. Yeah, it's like, okay, where's the. Okay, only Wraith's allowed in the pool. 
my gosh. That's true. But why? I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to honestly look at it from the network's perspective. You know, episode four, we, we just really we we're we're gonna fight you guys on this. We don't want it as episode four. We think that episode eight, man, it's going to make all the difference in the world, making it number mm-hmm. eight or number nine, even better. What why? Yeah, I, why? What what I, you know is there like do they I, look I, at I like even, that do, month I, action episodes do better in that month when episode nine would air? Where's the What's going I don't really recall the, the 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 argument, but okay. I know I do know that one of the things Sci-Fi firmly believed in was that you have three episodes to capture an audience, uh, and if you and, and those three first three episodes have to be gangbusters, or else you know if they, if they, if the audience stays with you past that third episode, then then you've got them. Uh, this yeah. was episode four, but I guess the reasoning was this early in the season. If first-time viewers will tune in. You want to give them the very best. I see. And it was kind of strange because Satita is such a great. That's right. Actress. What was episode five, by the way? Episode five uh, was was Progeny, another one of my favorites. So with the with the replicators and yeah. Charles okay. Emerson Winchester the third. Oh yes, yes. Who drove up from Oregon? He sure did. To, uh, to yeah, very nice guy. Yeah, nice guy. was that because. Oh, I thought he had lived in Seattle. So he drove up from Oregon. Oh, was it Oregon? I, 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 He's definitely south. Yeah. Yeah. So that's south for us. Yes. <laughs> right. yeah. Exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you about bringing uh, the replicators back mm-hmm. in in a new way. And one uh, from a from a story perspective, behind the scenes perspective, and another from an in-canon uh, perspective. Which one would you like to tackle first? Let's do story perspective. Story perspective first. You have really um, run the uh, the replicators not into the ground. Into the ground is not right because mm-hmm. I I think they really ran their course that that version of the species uh, in uh, through season eight of of SG one. You know they were ultimately responsible for helping to get rid of the Goa Uld. It was a very satisfying arc. And I remember having the discussion with Martin Garrow at the time of season three when you guys were tinkering about bringing them back. His his first reaction, and I quote, was mm-hmm. replicators. And then as you got further into it in discussing what you could do with it, Martin's uh, reaction changed to replicators. Mm-hmm. So what was the impetus for approaching that type of a race again and taking it forward into Atlantis. You know, I always go back to that fourth season after season four and Paul sitting in my office and saying, how the hell are we going to do another season if the show gets picked up for a fifth season? <laughs> because all our episodes were very much kind of a standalone variety. Uh-huh. And, you know, as I said, we, all, we, we learned that there was that mythology to mind, which made coming up with stories easier. And so we would go back to the, to, to the replicators. But, but, you know, a franchise that 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 goes, you know, with seventeen seasons, uh, or even you know, back then I think we you know, we, we were like 12, 12 seasons in. Um, it, it you know it needs to. I mean, you want to maintain the familiar. You want you want to maintain sort of what the fans came for, mm-hmm. uh, but you also want to sort of grow and transform. And so um, the replicators as a threat were, were a very interesting threat, but we kind of dealt with them in uh in in the two-parter 
uh, a reckoning. Reckoning, yeah. Yeah. And bringing them back in the same manner would have felt like kind of undoing that in, in, in a way and in a bit of a step back. So rather than step back, we looked to step forward. And, and, and in order to do that, we, we decided to transform them as a threat. And I think the kind of interesting, make, make them even more uh, scary in some ways in that um, they're able to communicate. And, uh, and, and so that, that was very much an appeal rather than sort of threatening you in kind of the standard way that the, the replicators threat, uh, threatened in previous episodes, they, they, they threatened you at a, 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 a whole other level. Okay. And I wanted to, I've been looking forward to asking this one because it's one of the one, one of the questions that have, have been kind of dancing around uh, fandom over the years. And some people are like, oh, well, it's obviously this, or no, it's obviously that, and because reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Was it production's uh, intent to make uh, the modern replicators that we dealt with in uh, SG-1 descendants in terms of their engineers and those who created them, descendants of the ones uh, from from Pegasus? Or are they just spiritual kind of successors? Because the way that I have always looked at it is that, Mm -hmm. well, who's Reese's father? Mm -hmm. It's Janice. It's Mm got to be Mm -hmm. Janice. You Mm -hmm. know, or someone who created the replicators in the Pegasus galaxy. Mm Mm-hmm. What was so your as you were intent? ramping up that question, I was kind of smiling because whenever I'm asked these questions, I usually can't answer them. I basically, <laughs> I either don't recall or, uh, you know, I always like to sort of uh, suggest, you know, Brad or uh, Robert would be uh, <laughs> perfect people to talk to about about this because uh, especially Rob, the replicators were very much uh, That's true. Um, his uh, babies. Okay. So definitively, you don't have an answer. Absolutely, do not have. Definitively, <laughs> okay, do not have an answer. Yeah, or, or you're just toying with me and say, you know what? I do have the answer, but it's isn't not it, my answer to tell. Isn't it more fun? Yeah, basically, <laughs> if I wanted to save face, I were to say something like, "Well, I can answer that question, but isn't it more fun not to know?" And you'd be like, "No, actually, it would be great to just to know." And then I'd be like, and "Well, actually, I don't, I don't really have the answer." You know, that's that's perfectly fair as well. There's mm-hmm. a lot of those circumstances where it's like. Especially like with with intent of like a story decision. Like I, I finished the leftovers recently, and you're mm-hmm. left with at the end. Okay, what was the what was the fate of all of those people that disappeared? I'm not gonna tell you. So I get mm-hmm. it. But the, mm-hmm. I will I will ask that of of Rob the next time that we have him on. Yeah. Um, Common ground mm-hmm. is an episode where we really start seeing. Uh, a different Great layer of the, right yeah christopher Heyerdahl. amazing spectacular casting decision did he read for todd or did um uh did you guys say you know what let's have this guy back he's always he's always you excellent know, I, I i don't recall okay. but um you know i mean he was he was great as uh what was his uh Athosian name oh hauling Hauling, yeah, he was great as Hauling, but I mean, Todd is uh, he he you know he uh, really you know delivered as Todd. Was it whose idea was it? Do you recall uh, that the wraith could return life as well as take it away? I 
That was an eye opener. I think I think you know, uh, uh, this was like a Ken Cooper's. Yes, Ken Cooper's was writer. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, he was new. So we we I remember we broke the story in the room. So I mean, I think it had to be either Brad or Robert. Okay. Uh, to come up with that particular idea in the room, it's sort of weird. You know, I just you know love the idea of them being you know that twist of them being able to take life but also return it Mm -hmm. and it was a great uh uh kind of swing at the tee-up that was introduced uh in in the previous uh mid-season two-parter with the wraith worshipers they're all young Mm -hmm. and vibrant and it's like okay what's going on there what can they possibly be getting from Mm -hmm. from this Mm -hmm. relationship well now we know you know they're just they're just letting them stay young Mm -hmm. so I remember um, watching uh, the return part one, and we're, we we hunted and gathered uh, ancients from from the void between two galaxies, and mm-hmm. we returned them to Atlantis. It really felt like it could play as a series finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was uh, and then having a Rick come back for the two-parter yeah. with Robert Picardo, Bob, Bob Picardo, yeah, fantastic pairing there. Yeah. Um, what was your feeling of those of those uh, episodes and how they played? Yeah, out? I mean, we 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 always you know delivered big uh, mid-season two-parters and then ended each season in a big way. So uh, yeah, I mean. Um, those mid-season two-parters could have played as, you know, end-of-season uh, episodes. Um, I just, it's just kind of interesting when I think back to how much, how many different aspects of the mythology we were able to kind of mine uh, and how time distortion and time travel mm. allowed us to uh, really explore certain of those facets in in kind of unexpected ways like we did in in, in this particular episode. I think that I wish that time dilation had been played with a little bit more uh, Mm -hmm. in Stargate. I think the only other one that I can think of besides this, this episode um, was a matter of, of, I think it was a matter of time in, in season two with the, with the black hole. Wasn't there another episode? I thought there was an Atlantis episode involving time dilation where, Shepard went, stepped through. He stepped into the. F- oh yes, you're absolutely right. That's right. That was that was season two, and um, the episode is Epiphany. Epiphany. Yes. Okay. You're absolutely correct. Then, Good for you. And then, and then, in terms of time dilation, not in, like an entire episode, but uh, when uh, Carter tricks five. Was it fifth? Fifth, fifth. Yeah, yes. that's enough. An- and traps him in you. a time dilation. You know why you I, I remember? I remember those things because I'm the time travel time di- <laughs> dilation uh, king. So basically, I love you know that's all those stories, true. all those twists, all those. So very much. I think it's one of the things that's that's really uh, uh, scary ab- about uh, the implications of of science fiction is that. You know, you can be you can be trapped in your own personal hell for God knows how long and everyone else is experiencing things in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. There's an episode of Black Mirror where it's used as a torture device um, mm-hmm. to imprison yeah. someone for yeah. years and years and years in just a Great few episode. moments. And yeah. what you won't say to to get out of this, of, out, out of that, you know, 
It's yeah. those things nightmares are made of. Yeah, there's a there's a great anime called Voices Voices of a Distant Star, I believe, where the, it's this couple that are set, separated, and this woman goes out to to basically fight aliens in the furthest reaches of space, and she sends messages to mm-hmm. her her lover, and you know while she's off fighting battles, he's living a life his entire life on Earth, wow. and you know the the messages get you know it takes longer and longer for yeah. the messages to arrive, and and uh, it's really kind of a uh, kind of a haunting, uh, and she's not aging. By his yes. comparison, yes, exactly. Um, wow. It's like, it's like a very short anime. It's like, I think it's like a half half hour. But uh, voices check it from out. a distant star. I think voices of a distant star or voices yeah. from a distant star could be yeah. voices of a distant star. Romance drama, yeah. two thousand two, Japanese science fiction original, video animation short film. Oh, I'm down. Or how how this. long is it? Let me see here. Hoshinoko. Um. Distant star. And of course, it's not telling me how long it is. All right. I'm seeing well, everything sure. else, but it sounds really, yeah. that sounds it's great. Worth your time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like I made a contribution this episode. I, great <laughs> recommendation. 25 minutes. Okay. 25 I'm, minutes I'm, long. I'm, I'm uh, drinking a bit during this uh, <laughs> episode because I was out last night. Uh, uh, the lovely and talented Roger Cross. Oh. Uh, SG One Dark Matter. He was actually he wrapped up on his uh, wrapped his uh, 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 recent season on Coroner, and so he was like, "Hey, let's okay. get together." And I got together with him and Ivan Bartok, who was a co-exec on uh, on Dark Matter. Absolutely. Went out for Jamaican food and drinks, and so I've been like wildly thirsty all day. So <laughs> apologies. No, you're all good. And while uh, we are are doing some shout-outs, I believe it is Ben Browder's birthday today. It is Ben Browder and Peter Kalamas' birthday oh, today. Oh, really? Okay. So, yes. Happy Ben Browder and Peter Kalamas Day. Happy to birthday you, to you all. Gentlemen. Absolutely. Two great, two great folks. Absolutely. They are absolutely great. The, uh, the big thing, really, that I think sticks in everyone's mind for season three of Atlantis, the death of uh, Beckett. Yes. Sunday is particularly close to my heart because uh, Martin Garrow and I were were, were uh, pretty chatty uh, at this point uh, during the show's production. And he had talked to me about this, this day off idea that he had had since basically season one. But there was no jeopardy in it. So it's like, well, I mean, yeah. what can we do? He had, he had been he had loved Elephant, the movie. And mm-hmm. I had I had recently seen it. It's it's, it's uh, I won't spoil it for anyone. I suggest that you just go and watch it cold. But it's yeah, I, I remember seeing it. Yes, yes, very intense. It's not for kids. Yes, um, but it's it deals with this what what unfolds. And if you go into it cold, you only find this out as you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, is you're watching the same sequence of time told from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And then near the end, it's like, oh crap! This is what's this is going where on. we are. Yes, this is what's happening. Uh, and it's a brilliant film, and his kind of uh, spiritual homage to it with Sunday was in many ways equally pulling on the heartstrings with, with the mm-hmm. loss of someone that we have all grown to to care about if we've watched the show uh, from the beginning at this point. Um, tell us about you know being in that room and giving birth to this idea of 
having a, a relatively benign situation be the trigger to wake us up to the fact that we can lose anyone at any time. In, yeah, I remember the frontier of this. I, I remember Martin struggling with the story and exactly that. You know, they, they, everybody thought, yeah, it's great. It would be fun to explore, but there is no jeopardy. And he knew he had to kill someone off at the end. And, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I misremember, but he didn't have the person who would die, you know, as, as mm-hmm. you know, as, 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 as he sort of outlined it, as we were outlining it. And, uh, you know, and it had to be, it couldn't just be a guest actor. It had to be someone that the audience connected with and, uh, and ultimately ended up being Paul. And, you know, I, I, I thought it was a beautiful episode. I thought that, that, that final scene with uh, oh. uh, McKay, you know, uh, looking out the water and, 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 um, and Beckett's slow fading was like, incredibly touching. Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of wish it hadn't been exploding tumors. <laughs> I just well, <laughs> Jason has the line exploding tumors. You got to be yeah. kidding me, right? Yeah. Uh, do you recall whose idea it was for Beckett? I believe I, I, there was some discussion. I think. Okay. Mm, uh Huh. Or was it a group call? It was not a group call. It was not. Okay. No. Well, we're not, we don't have to hang anyone out to dry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember after, uh, you know, uh, the season wrapped and we were at a, a rap party and I told Paul, I'm like, hey, you know, and, and he was kind of bummed because he had. Of course. He, he had, yeah. Lost and the I job. Said, this is how we're going to bring you back. If, you know, who knows what the future holds. And I pitched him at that rap party. So, you know, in my mind, Becca was gone, but not for long. That's the beauty of science fiction. And 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 yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's great because no one ever dies in sci-fi, but it's also a pain in the ass and kind of tends to blunt those, you know, the beauty of those moments and those episodes because ultimately nobody ever dies in sci-fi unless you decide, you know. I, so I, I'm looking forward to discussing this with you in next season because mm-hmm. I have some strong opinions. All right, uh, I'd like I'd like to uh, I'd like mm-hmm. to to, uh, to share those opinions with you next yes. year. Excellent, uh, and t- kind of put myself out, you know, to to fall on the sword because there's going to be plenty mm-hmm. of people who will disagree with me. Um, but yeah, this I I loved this season because it was. Um, really, at, the SG one is in season ten and is is definitely moving into so the shows are diverging more mm-hmm. and more into their own identities. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Atlantis's humor was clicking a lot better uh, this season, and I think just the performances were strong. I can't I can't uh, pass Tori in in the real world. You yeah, know, I think that that performance is solid, and you know, I go back and watch that. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies with, you know, her her kind of situation. We can all relate to the fear of losing our minds, and all of us have known someone who has, you know, had some kind of a of a of a circumstance where uh, they weren't the same person that they were at one point previously in their past, mm-hmm. you know, or when they were younger, for instance, a lot Alzheimer's and dementia. That's not exactly what this is. But um, that was a scary episode, and it was cool. It was a great episode. Was that a 
Carl Binder joint? The real world was Carl Binder. Yeah, yeah. Got it. He could always tell those great, kind of really heartfelt character centered stories. Um, and so, I, I, you know, um, and also, I mean, Tori's fantastic mm-hmm. and, and, and was fabulous in this episode. I remember uh, going to, to set for season three and Irresistible was in production. And this had been one that that uh, Darren and I had had not heard of. We we usually get a mm-hmm. get a pretty uh, reasonable lead on like episode titles and and very very mm-hmm. tentative summaries at this point in production when it was being shot earlier uh, on in the year. And I'm like, this is brand new. Who is it? Oh, that's Richard Kind on set. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we asked Brad, like, who is Lucius? And he said he's kind of the Harcourt Fenton mud of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. okay, so we've got a trickster, um, and what an interesting character! <laughs> yeah, you know Richard Kind was amazing. I, I I like him a lot. He's super talented, very funny. He you know um, there's certain instances where he just kind of improvised. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that it was back in the days when I had my chocolate parties, right? Uh, where I would you know bring in chocolates from all over the world and invite the cast and. And, and friends and uh, he was in town for, I think for this one or, or was it the sequel and so I invited him and he was like just so blown away and and uh, you know uh, you know a, you know even after his appearance he would send me emails he'd be like you gotta check out this ice cream place in Cincinnati it's, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know great guy what um, do you think about uh, the the would, would you have done another another episode with him you think if if there was availability, or do you think that I just, think we did, didn't we? After and I'm going to get to irresponsible yeah. in just a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you have done more with him in season four or season five if the proper story had come up, or was there one and he just wasn't available? Because I was always interested in in um, in this character. Yeah, no, there was some some discussion. In fact, actually, I remember sort of floating the idea of of uh, Lucius and bringing back uh, Princess Harmony. <laughs> um, and trying to come up with a story that would pair them. <laughs> we just kind of never came up with a story. Oh, that's cool. So your episodes uh, for this mm-hmm. season are Misbegotten and Irresponsible. And I remember you going back and forth on the title for Misbegotten. It was originally going to be mm-hmm. The Begotten, and then you went to uh, uh, Misbegotten. Uh, mm-hmm. The Atlantis team must decide the fate of a colony of Wraith. They have turned yeah. into humans. And Dr. Weir must defend her leadership when she's evaluated by the IOA. So you've got two things happening. You've got the the yeah. uh, Pegasus Galaxy drama and then the Milky Way Galaxy drama. Yeah. Always um, love those types of stories where you've got, like, you know, two things going on that kind of dovetail at the end. Um, I also like those uh, kind of moral slash ethical dilemmas uh that you know very much it goes back to sort of our first episode scorched earth um you know where where we're dealing Mm -hmm. with you know whose planet is it anyways and in in this case it's you know and and, you know come to think of it i mean you know uh, you know uh the the seeds of of some of the themes i touch on here we touch on in, in dark matter as well this idea of sort of identity and and you know you know are you a product of your environment or, you know, are people, you know, inherently mm-hmm. evil? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was a fun episode with some 
at times very bad weeks. <laughs> well, I mean, you went with what you had, you know. That's yeah, yeah. It just there were so many of them. At, at the end of the day, we're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> that's such a point. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. My, uh, Michael, played by uh, Connor Trenier, uh, really yeah. ended up being uh, one of the best foils for uh, for for Taylor for Shepard. Yeah. Uh, Connor, uh, really, I think, uh, came into his own, um, throughout, well, I guess not just specifically season three, but throughout, throughout the entire run. Um, did he take, did he, with you guys take the character in, in places that you didn't entirely expect? Yeah. I mean, he, he's, you know, we discussed this in previous episodes, you know, you, you write a role for a character, an actor and whether they come back or, or the, the character comes back really a lot of it has to do with their performance do mm-hmm. they pop and you know connor as 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 michael really popped and you know of course it goes back to that that that, that first episode uh again written by the uh, amazing carl binder <laughs> right uh that that you know really sets a really interesting against again a dilemma and and this kind of just takes it a step further, but in so doing, you're kind of cementing him as not your typical villain. He's 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 a bad guy, um, very good reasons mm-hmm. for doing what he does. Tell us about irresponsible. We have uh, one for for one last time. Well, okay, one mm-hmm. last living time, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Acostas Kolya, who yes. was probably my favorite villain in terms of his his uh, relationship with Shepard, mm-hmm. uh, which is played even it was played actually really beautifully in season five in an episode that we'll, we'll eventually get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but was who? Why did he die? Why, why why was was why was that a decision that was made? Yeah, you know. I, again, I sort of I think back, and and I think you know we wanted some sort of like um, a big moment for the mm. end of the episode. In retrospect, you know, I it wasn't a great way for him to go, um, and just it, for many reasons that episode just it, it didn't work on sort of many levels. From basically not being able to get the right location. Um, we were going to actually shoot in, it was a town. It was actually a Western yes. town. I forget what it was called. Something like, um, anyways. And, and so we're like, we got the, we've got the perfect place for it. It's going to be like, you know, we're going to be doing a Western and then prep week came up and they checked it out and the place was falling apart. They were like, it's, it's, oh, it's no. danger. We can't go there. So, uh, we have to look. For another place, and we ended up, uh, I'm not sure what it's called, Fantasy Gardens or something, where it's like a pastiche of all these different mm-hmm. um, uh, architectures, and that didn't work well. And then the, there's the, that, um, you know, uh, that, that final duel where, where um, Shepard is facing off against Kolya, yeah. and, and the rest of the team are like right behind him. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I remember you know, watching it like, you know, after the fact we're seeing the dailies and I'm like, why are they standing directly right. behind There's him? There's a bullet he's head be in their shooting. way. And, 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 and 
I forget, I think it was Martin, was, uh, a word at the time was like, well, you know, they, 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 they really argued that they wanted to back Shepard. They want, you know, you know, literally back him, uh, <laughs> or figuratively back him. And uh, it just kind of didn't make sense. And then, you know, for, for Collier to go out that way now in retrospect, it's not like, you know, it was not worthy of the character. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, you know, in my mind, you know, I was like, well, this is science fiction. So there's a possibility to bring him back. And, and we did bring him back in a way in season five. But, you know, there could have been a way to bring him back for real in uh, in in a season six. But the location by itself is great. I You guys used it in revisions. Um, you may yeah. have used it one other time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the Western town that you're talking about, would that have been the town that was seen in, like, for instance, like Beast of Burden? Um, you'd be yes, going back possibly. there, you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and I loved the return of the uh, ancient personal shield device. Yeah. You know, of course, <laughs> yeah, Lucius yeah. would have found one and then used it yes. to make himself out to be a hero. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, Richard Kind was was it, it was it was nice to have him in the show. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, I think, the second actor behind uh, French Stewart, or the mm -hmm. he was the, the first actor from the original right. feature film. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of a nod there. Yeah, I loved the moral conundrum that was introduced with the finale, first strike. Mm. You have uh, Weir talking with Taylor and saying, you know what? I'm sick and tired of these people coming in. Uh, it seems like every year at this time, her warranty tends to be up uh, mm -hmm. where the, uh, the, the powers that be back on earth kind of set her aside for a military objective. Mm -hmm. um, and in this case, it's one that's, I understand on one side, but on the other side, morally dubious. If you consider the uh the replicators to be uh, uh sentient to nuke a huge chunk of their planet where admittedly warships are being developed mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and uh leave ourselves open ultimately to an attack that results in us having to depart lantia for the mm -hmm. uh the wider pegasus galaxy tell us a little about first strike and wrapping up that season yeah i mean we always went out big and this was Pretty, pretty big. Um, who was the writer? First was Strike Martin was written by... I th you think so. Yeah, let me double check. Yeah, yeah it was Garrow. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, we just wanted something big. And again, you know, everything, as you said, you know, all those those, those storylines we've been building on throughout the season just, kind of, you know, come together in a kind of an explosive uh, way in, 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 in this finale. Um I remember. I remember uh, Rob Cooper arguing against abandoning Atlantis. When when do we end up abandoning Atlantis? Is it in this episode or the or the or uh, or the premiere? Abandoning Atlantis altogether. Sorry, so not abandoning Atlantis, abandoning the planet. The planet, yeah. That's this episode. We leave. Yeah, yeah. And 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 Rob was really argued against it, and we're like, why are you so? You know, Adam, he's like, you know, we, we, he goes, what about the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the, the whales? Oceans. Yeah. Oh, that's the whales. Too. We saved the whales. And now, right. you know, and, and I was like, well, I don't know. 
an eye pitch idea that they didn't like where, where basically, you know, we, we get, a, you know, they fly off and then it turns out the, the angel, uh, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the whales end up sprouting wings and, and flying off, like sort of super evolving and flying off into space. Uh, I nicknamed <laughs> wangels, uh, but uh, nobody liked that idea. So uh, oh, gosh. The, uh, the whales perished. Oh, jeez. No, it's, I, it, it just shows how, you know, the replicators have teeth and they're going to mm-hmm. be a, an enemy that we're going to have to deal with. And we don't even make it to the end of next season to deal with them. We have to, we have to take care of them rather quickly because mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. spreading like mad. We thought the Wraith were a problem. These folks are about to take us all down. It's mm-hmm. a great uh, couple hours of television, first strike and then adrift in, yeah. in season four. And I'm looking forward to talking with you about uh, the departure of Tori and bringing in um, Amanda Tapping. Uh, just uh, a great season, you know. I think I think as for me, as Atlantis progressed, overall the number of stories that I fell in love with, as opposed to the number of stories that I was just kind of eh, on the fence about, were really mm-hmm. increasing as as the show went along and and found kind of its unique energy. Yeah. Yeah, so as we grow more confident in the or you know the characters and and the storylines, that uh, you know I think it's the way with most uh, shows. So that's that's absolutely fair. So I have uh, some fan questions for you. Excellent. Alec Brownie has a dark matter question. It was alluded that alternate universe Marcus was losing his grip. Why does this have to do with losing his Sarah and or knowing that there's an android Sarah around? Sorry, Stargate fans. Uh, uh, possibly. I mean, we never really <laughs> explored. I mean, I or I forget who said he was kind of losing his grip. Um, I think uh, it was probably uh, alternate Portia, and and she was basically could have been just shit talking. That, <laughs> that crew just they they the knives were out, and uh, they were you know very quick to put it in each other's backs. So I don't believe everything she she says. <laughs> That's fair. Ugly Pig. Hello, Ugly Pig. Mm-hmm. Uh, how familiar, Joe, were you with the franchise before you were hired to write for The Little Lulu Show? Um, didn't very that, familiar you... in, the, in that I, uh, um, I mean, like, like, like most shows, I mean, I, you know, you do your research, you, you read the Bible, um, uh, and, you know, I don't no, we we developed that one internally, like I did a lot of the other shows. But I think we put together a a bible for it. So I mean, mm. you know, we 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 launched the show, and uh, I think my former writing partner Paul uh, story edited one of the later seasons. So I I did write a couple of episodes for them, but you know, so I was pretty familiar having read the comic strips and having you know participated in the development of the show internally. Jay Savitri. Uh, has uh, ha- how familiar with are you, and have you had a chance to play perhaps the new Stargate uh, role playing game? And what are your thoughts on it? Um, I have no thoughts. I, it looks interesting, uh, but I have not played the game. I don't play very many games, to be honest with you. Understood. What do you think about the show um, continuing to exist in terms of its uh, merchandise? Do you think that that's that's important to keep the keep the vision alive? Yeah, I think it's important uh, just from, a, you know, merchandising mm-hmm. uh, and very much kind of the online fandom 
continue to let uh, Amazon now know that uh, um, you know you want a new series, and and they're going to they'll give us a new series. It's just a matter of what shape uh, that new series will take. George Fotis, Dramasiotis. Sorry, George, I butchered that. <laughs> Can you please ask Joe? Oh, so Joe, <laughs> what sci-fi trope do you love repeatedly watching and which ones just drive you nuts? Oh, well, I mean, the obvious is the time loop. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, yep. Yeah, I mean, for for uh, Dark Matter, the time loop episode, I ended up doing a deep dive and watching it like, a, like two dozen time loop episodes across uh, various shows and they were all i mean some were better than others but they were all a lot of fun so the time loop uh is my favorite in terms of what you know i i, I don't like it's, t- it's kind of tough because really it comes it comes down to the execution in many cases i mean you know the cliches are just kind of annoying if they don't bring something new you can you can you can you can take an old chestnut and and kind of turn it on its you know on its head and 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 deliver a show. You know um, the, the the great thing about sort of you know the kind of these standard tropes is that the audience already knows them, so you can surprise them mm-hmm. by setting them up in a way that you think you know that the audience believes it's going to go, and then and they just kind of you know rug pull. Um, the audience, which is what you know, kind of did with uh, uh, the time loop episode, yes, on Dark Minor. But um, I'm trying to think in terms of like tropes, nothing off the top of my head. I guess, I guess I'm not a huge fan of uh, what, what do you call the trope? The uh, the chosen one. Okay, the chosen one trope, like prophecy. You know, sort of, the prophecy. Well, basically, says you such such you know, way. it is fated. You will be the right. one to uh, you know. That's VR people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That's, that's when you really think about it, that's used a lot in a lot of, in a lot of our, mostly in fantasy. That's true too. Yeah. Can I, can I share mine with you now that this, okay. Where we get a ton of character development and explore uh, the, the characters in a whole new way and time resets or, it wasn't them or some such that every everything resets back to the way it was before. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the ones I mean, that always for, for me, me, I guess, yes. And no, it really depends. I mean, if um, like uh, in um, the SG one finale. Yeah. Teal. That's see, you know, that that's an example of, of kind of giving it a bit of a twist. Mm-hmm. You have a character who remembers, right. and and so it's 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 a bittersweet. And even though it's been undone, it still have you know you know certain ramifications, certain consequences, That's which true. I, I love. But yeah, very much. I, I'm not a big fan of it. You know, we just go back to um, you know um, step one. It's just right. a waste of time. I'll Voyager did this re- another one of my favorites with with Year of Hell, which is I think two of the the, the best hours of that show put on and mm. completely reset. And there's another one where uh, it's not even them; they're they're you know, uh, uh, Mercury looking gunk that end up in space. And it's like, oh, it wasn't them the entire time either. But it, also mm-hmm. with Continuum, you do the same thing mm-hmm. where Mitchell potentially remembers 
um, mm-hmm. because he has a photo of his of him and his granddad uh, yeah. on yeah. his locker. So that was mm-hmm. always I was like, oh, if if SG One came back in some way, I would have liked a little tale to explain yeah. what he knew and what he didn't there. Mm. So um, that dude right there, Joe. Uh, uh, regarding irresponsible, did you guys set out to write an episode where Kolya was his character was resolved and the rest of the episode was formed around it, or did his death no. occur no. when setting his death? Very much occurred, uh, okay. you know, as as almost, you know, I have to say, not an afterthought, but 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 you know, once once the main story had been had been um, thought through, got it. We needed. Uh, you know, a, uh, a, a a satisfying conclusion. That makes sense. Eva says, would you have gone fishing with Carson in Sunday? Uh, I would have definitely gone uh, <laughs> fishing with Carson. Carson or Paul McGillian. Uh, uh, Not that I, I, I'm much of a fisherman. I don't really Not enjoy fishing, fishing, but I very much enjoy their company. Yeah, so. agreed. Elizabeth Lee, what are the odds of an SG-1, SGA, SGU story being continued in an, and woven together um, at some way in the future? Were you guys given the, the chance to do that? I suppose that's more of a Brad question. Yeah, it is more of a Brad question. Um, and I think one of the elements of the SG-1 revolution... Oh, no, no, it's not SG-1 revolution... I think there was even some thought to doing like a wrap up. Was it a, a universe? I guess it would have, had to, would have had to be in a universe movie where mm. elements of SG One and Atlantis end up gating onto Destiny mm-hmm. to help in in a rescue mission. Brad did allude to this at one point that he said, mm-hmm. you know, if 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 there was if if universe could not be resolved in its like five season arc that. Uh, mm-hmm that uh, Stargate Command and Atlantis would pool their resources to save Destiny, mm-hmm. which yeah. I think would have been terrific. Yeah. Um, William Ahrens, was it ever proposed that Todd be transformed into a human for a period of time? Uh, no, I felt we kind of did that with Michael. And okay. uh, he was such a great, unique character. Um, I felt it, it almost feels like having Todd do that, would, he would just kind of be... Um, walking well-trodden ground, if you will. And just Todd as Todd is just so glorious that uh, um, ultimately, no, we we never took that uh, seriously. That's fair. That option seriously. Peace Rider, um, this is a little bit before your time, but I remember you discussing it in um, in Q&As a lot. Um, uh, Ritu Charlie was... uh, Mm -hmm there ever a nugget of an idea of, of returning to Ritu Charlie? Uh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, F- Philippa Kennett, time dilation and time travel are cool, but time reverse like Tenet is insane. Would you consider writing stories based on that concept? I haven't seen Tenet. Um, really? So t- yes. Shame, Joseph. That's really you, you need to see it. Yeah, really if it, at least from from an educational perspective of mm-hmm. of of science fiction, I thought it mm-hmm. was an excellent exercise of um, of 
Well, anytime that I watch a Christopher Nolan movie, with the exception mm-hmm. of, of a couple, it's mental gymnastics for one thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a really good exercise. You just haven't you just haven't managed to see it yet, or just so you... so it, it all makes sense in the end for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because it have you have you heard that it doesn't? Maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. That's fair. Uh, what about that, uh, Sabina Pilchova? What about episode 200, and in particular, that wedding scene? Any jokes or interesting behind-the-scenes info? Did you have to convince Richard and Amanda to do it? No, no. I think they, uh, they both very much look forward to, uh, to doing it. And then uh, I know uh, Michael very much uh, looked forward to uh, uh, his, uh, his little uh, cameo in that scene as well. Uh, <laughs> so it's a tip of the hat to both the, uh, the shippers and the, the slashers. slashers. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, she doesn't show up. They may think that mm. you and I are. You know. <laughs> Just the fact that he calls her uh, Carter. On his That's right. Days. Awesome. No, she, she calls him, um, uh, I think, Colonel or Sir. And he's like, hey, we're married. Or we're mm. getting married. He's like, oh, sorry, Jack. <laughs> that was great. Uh, Sir Falheim 00, if the SG program is revealed to the world... <laughs> Would you hire David to play the role of a journalist? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my Why God. Why not? Uh, Duja89, any regrets, any regrets not utilizing McKay and Mrs. Miller and Dow of Rodney to make Zelenka a more uh, prominent character? He was always um, a foil for Rodney. Yeah, he was. I mean, I, lo- I you know, love David Nichol, uh, loved Zelenka. I think... Um, you know, we just had so much going on with the other characters that, you know, at times it was just kind of hard to service everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's not a regret. I mean, would, sure, it would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And last one for you, Teresa MC. Do you think Atlantis has more secrets to reveal? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. You know, I, you know as I, we, we had actually planned a uh, very loose... Uh, uh, terms a, a, a sixth season. We kind of uh, were looking ahead to uh, to bringing Atlantis back to the Pegasus Galaxy and telling more stories. And then, uh, sadly, we were canceled. We never got the opportunity. I would love um, to have like a a San Diego Comic Con panel or some kind of of reunion of of the writers of you guys to sit down and and break you know uh a, a what if season six of atlantis mm, or some such mm-hmm. i would I'd like had that you would taken be, a different would take, direction that would take, yeah that would be like a marathon you if, in order to break an entire season you would be there uh you know a good two weeks okay well maybe sorry sorry not break i mean come up with the stories i think in terms of breaking an entire uh that would take like I think three months. Wow. Okay. And that's actually, no, that's very short for, uh, you know, we, we, we were always very quick at, at, uh, at breaking, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, 10, 13 episode shows go at least four months breaking, you know, breaking their seasons. Or maybe breaking, you know, a two-parter. Right. You know, so I would love to see just something like, just everyone get a chance to get back together, preferably mm-hmm. in the same room and, mm-hmm. and just, and just sit down and spin one more story together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it would be interesting that, you know, bringing back those dynamics because, uh-huh. you know, I, you know, I, I, I always mention the fact that writers are good at three things, writing, 
spinning and and pitching and uh and it's rare that you have a writer who's very good at all three so you know it, it would be interesting just to to and and you know writers change over time as well that's true um, you guys evolve it'd be interesting to see sort of how those dynamics changed after uh you know was it 10 years it's been a while yeah absolutely it has well joe um i really uh really appreciate you uh once again taking the time to uh sit down and and talk with us this is uh, uh it's always exciting to have uh you on and share some more uh nuggets as we progress i've i've really found this 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 manner of looking at the series to be mm-hmm. extremely rewarding because it's been so methodical and being able to look back over these previous episodes where we've done and see how all the the bricks and mortar have built to the position where we are, not just from for each individual show, but all of them together to kind yeah. of form the tapestry of the universe as you guys have created it. And um, thank you once again for, for, for being part of that. No, my pleasure. It's a lot of fun. I mean, like I said, I, I've kind of phased out um, any further podcasts or, uh, or interviews for the time being. Uh, but I make an exception for this one because it's uh, it's unique and a lot of fun. So thanks for having me. Thank you very much, sir. Well, you have a wonderful holiday season and a good Thank new you, year. you too, and everybody there Thank out you. there. And happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. And uh, I'll be reaching out to you really soon to get a, a January date nailed down. Great. So none of this last minute crap, I swear. All right. <laughs> Bye. My best to you guys, best to wife and, and pupper. I will. Be well. Bye-bye. Joseph Malazzi, writer and executive producer of Stargate Atlantis. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I apologize for the weird screen formatting. I have uh, uh, this to fix before uh, our next program starts up here with uh, Mac Martin, uh, the uh, lead uh, game designer for the Stargate SG-1 RPG. My name is David Reed, and you are watching Dial the Gate. And... um, We are brought to you every week for free, and we do appreciate you watching. Uh, But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. It is the holiday season after all, and we are into giving gifts. We are now offering t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies of all ages, as as well as a variety of cups and other accessories in a variety of sizes and colors at dialthegate.com. From the merchandise tab, you can click on a specific design to see what items are being offered. Checkout is fast and easy, and you can use your credit card or PayPal. Just visit dialthegate.com or go straight to dialthegate.com slash merch, and thanks so much for your support. And if you like what you've seen in this episode, give us a click with that like button. It really makes a difference with uh, YouTube's algorithm and continues to uh, help uh, grow the audience. We will be back in just about 45 minutes with Mac Martin, the lead uh, uh, game developer on uh, the Stargate SG-1 RPG. He wrote the book, and uh, we're going to be uh, bringing him in in just a few minutes. So thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate my moderating team, uh, Summer, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy Reese, Anthony, my producer, Linda Gaber fury Big thanks to Frederick Marcou, our web developer, and Jeremy Heiner, my uh, gate master, or my, my gate master, my webmaster. I'm David Reed for Dial the Gate. See you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producers are Darren Sumner and Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The moderators are Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, 
Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design is by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots. The webmaster is Frederick Marcoux. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Frederick Marcoux. For inquiries, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.